can you imagine hearing those lyrics and then Dan Rather coming back saying, welcome back to our all-day coverage of the nation's 200th birthday. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of love is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who knew that the box of 64 was better than 48, but still made do with 24. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we will be saving the year that lit up the sky with patriotic celebrations, Olympic glory, and the most famous red swimsuit in history, 1976. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. So if you guys asked me to name one memory from 1976, it would be this. I open the door to step outside... And on the doormat is a dead squirrel with no head. It's a headless what? squirrel. What? I know. I know. And this was not an unusual thing at my house. What? And you know what? <laughs> I Oh, I know. Okay. So it was my cat. My cat liked to go catch things and eat their heads off and then would leave it on our doorstep so that we would be proud of him. And so on this day in 1976, I see the headless squirrel and I don't even care. I'm not even scared. I'm not even mad at the stupid cat for leaving me this special gift that he likes to leave us. And normally I would see the headless squirrel and then I would screech and I would refuse to go to school because I can't, I can't cross the threshold because there's a headless squirrel on it. It was super stressful, but not today. Motherfuckers. (gasps) Can we bleep? Can we bleep? Because God bless America, today is the goddamn bicentennial. And it's like the best day of my whole life. I've got a flag to wave. That's right. I've got a bomb pop to eat. Yeah, I I was excited about the bicentennial. I can't say that I was that excited. Your enthusiasm is quite it's admirable. Hard to, to beat. Yeah, it really, it really is. Um, I mean, I do remember it the whole school year like January 76 until the mm-hmm. end of the year being very patriotic. And we did have a colonial America day and my mom sewed me this gosh, authentic <gasps> colonial I outfit. Did. did you have I, the little, the little um, oh duster God. hat? The little yes. Cap? I had a little cap and I was yeah. a woman. So I had, I had like, it was like a bonnet and I had yeah. the dress and an apron. And perhaps this is where my love of Williamsburg and my thought oh. of, when I retire, I want to go to Williamsburg and be one of the people actresses that reenacts. You'd be the, really the good at that, like carrying my little basket. But I love that <laughs> Wait, outfit. There's bread in the basket, though, right? Yes, because I'm Is, going to the bread little bakery. Lady? Yeah, probably so you get some, a snack. Yeah, Carolyn some... has thought about this a lot. Oh, Carolyn, yes. I think you've showed showed a picture to us of that outfit. Actually, that was even earlier. That was when oh. I was in kindergarten, <laughs> that outfit, um, when I was Betsy Ross in the school oh. play. And, you had a, um, long, a long-term love affair with colonial America. I don't have any real specific, specific memories of 1976, and like you guys do have like the 4th of July even, um, 
because I was six turning seven in 1976, so I was in first and then second grade. Um, I'm imagining in the 4th of July, I was, we spent the month of July at my dad's house, um, in a little tiny, um, one stoplight tumbleweed town in Texas called Woodson. Um, so most of my memories of 1976 are tied to toys and TV shows and playing with friends, making up dances, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't really have So you didn't do memories. you don't have a specific bicentennial July 4th Mm-mm. bicent you Mm-mm. didn't have a celebration I mean, in your town or anything? No. Well, no, because we would have been in Woodson, which was very, very tiny. Maybe we would always go to this thing called the Fandangle. So maybe they mm-hmm. did a spe- that was a really big gathering of um a lot of like almost like an outdoor wagon wheel country musical mm-hmm. type thing. Um, I met Lady Bird Johnson there. Maybe that was the year oh, I met Lady Bird Johnson. Lady Bird. She rode in the little tiny train thing with us. Um, oh, wow. But no, I mean, other than, you know, my sister and my daddy and I always used to blow up fire uh, anthills with firecrackers. So maybe we blew up a oh. couple extra anthills. On- <laughs> so this is very interesting because there was no federal celebration of the bicentennial because they deemed that it would be too expensive. So they encouraged local celebrations instead, because that would foster more of a small town vibe. And that's really what they were trying to get people to do more of an an Americana kind of feel. And I didn't live in a small town. I lived in a city neighborhood, but city neighborhoods oftentimes feel like their own contained small town. Um, And my small town was on fire and it definitely felt like Mayberry that day. It was the whole neighborhood celebration did feel like Mayberry. It was a small town that day. Wow. I was trying to think of what kind of celebration we had. I lived in the suburbs of Houston, Texas, so definitely not small town. And I didn't remember any parades or anything like that. But my sister and I both have the same distinct memory. And it involves our yellow and green um, shag carpeting because we were both sitting on that in front of the TV watching the tall ships. Yes. Going down the Hudson River. I remember that. Yes. Well, that was actually this huge event called Operation Sail. And it had hundreds of these tall, majestic ships that came from all over the world and floated down the Hudson River. And my dad Mm -hmm. is a nautical buff. He loves, he was in the Navy and he loves ships. And so, and then he and my mom are from New York. So this was must see TV for us. We were plunked in front of it. And that is the, Uh, memory I have, that Mm -hmm. event. And then my sister and I both remember my dad had purchased, um, my. he had told my mom, if I die tomorrow, I would be really happy if you let me buy this. And it was a quadraphonic stereo, which was a really big deal in the mid-70s. It had these four speakers. And so my dad put the four speakers on the living or the family room, that carpet, and you would sit in the middle. And then he played his album from the... um, (laughs) Air Force marching band. <laughs> and um, he played that song like dun 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 Jets flying over our heads. And so my vision of 4th of July is the tall ships and my dad with this anticipatory look on his face as we (laughs) sat 
plunked between these four, at the time, seemed like giant speakers um, on our floor. I mean, who put speakers on their floor and sitting in the middle? And he would just be waiting for those jets to fly yeah. over and be like, okay, hear that it? is your, adorable. Yeah, did your hair blow? Story. Did you hear it? Like, yes. And the speakers were probably like 15 inches tall. I know. Okay, that really, that that's one of the questions that I have because I, most of the time when we have patriotic celebrations they are some they're sort of a celebration of the military i do not remember any military celebration in 1976 it was all mayberry it was i don't remember anything on tv in the news certainly not in my little neighborhood celebration i mean maybe they had the guys walk down the streets with the flags but even that was dicey in 1976 that was not what people were looking for in 1976 yeah, I um I agree. I don't really that doesn't come into my memory at all. The only other thing that does and I want to ask Martha, I'm feeling she might have been glued in front of her TV, but Bob Hope had his bicentennial star-spangled oh, spectacular. And that did. featured Sammy Davis Jr., Debbie Reynolds, Captain and Tennille, and Donnie and Marie. Oh, oh. my goodness. I know. Can that you... is a star-studded mm-hmm. bicentennial yes, star-spangled cast. spectacular. Sure was. Yeah. I feel like there was sort of an indoctrination that has a negative connotation, but I don't mean it this way, that they were trying to amp us up for what was coming, for whatever celebrations we were going to be taking part in. And so if you think about Schoolhouse Rock, that whole 1976 season was the America mm-hmm. Rock era Mm -hmm. that had to be on purpose and so um it started america rock started at the end of 1975 with no more kings the shot heard around the world and the preamble we the people in order to form a more perfect union we've already covered that right (laughs) followed at the beginning of 1976 with i'm just a bill the great american melting pot elbow room which is about the westward expansion a.k.a. stealing Native people's lands. Um, And finally, fireworks. There's going to be fireworks, fireworks. Celebrating. And that was about celebrating the Bicentennial. And that was released just prior to July 4th. So that for six months, they were amping us children up on the carpeting in front of the TV on Saturday mornings. So a lot of the information we are going to share today comes from a great podcast for us Gen Xers called For the Record, The 70s, hosted by Amy Lively, who, by the way, you guys, is another podcaster I want to read me bedtime stories. I know. Her voice is, Her voice is lovely. Butter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy is a high school U.S. history teacher who is also a big music nerd, especially for the music of the 70s. So her episodes examine the intersection of the songs we love with the things that were happening in the world at the time. And friends listening, if you like what you hear today, you can go even deeper by listening to her episode episode called The Spirit of 76. You can find it exclusively on Spotify or at FTR70.com. It's such a great podcast and it's just so very interesting and informative and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. She's my new favorite historian. Everybody's got to have mm-hmm. a favorite historian, right? Right. So, I mean, Leslie's my, she's my favorite historian. And her episodes are chock full of juicy tidbits that will make you go, huh, I did not know that. And here's the perfect example. So while I was all hopped up on bomb pops on the bicentennial, there were a lot of people who were not excited about the bicentennial. Jesse Jackson, this was probably the first time Jesse Jackson came into our memories. Jesse Jackson was asking people to boycott the bicentennial because he said people of color were not not yet free. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And there were some who celebrated the Battle of Little Bighorn instead, which is also known as Custer's Last Stand. Mm. That's where the Lakota, the Northern Cheyenne, and Arapaho tribes combined forces to defeat U.S. forces. And, and 1976 would have been the hundredth, the 100th anniversary oh, wow. of the Battle of Little Bighorn. I did not know any of this. Well, think about it. At I mean, Carolyn, what grade were you in? Four. I was in fifth. Okay, so they they you might have been learning about that. I'm going to keep mm-hmm. going back to what our teachers were teaching us. You know, in right. first and second grade, they weren't teaching us about about the Battle of Little Bighorn, anything or bad, anything like that yet. <laughs> yeah, right. And and also we've talked about this before. It is such a shame, almost how sheltered we were. You know, mm-hmm. we weren't even being taught necessarily. You know, if they would have if if in first and second and third and fourth grade, if someone would have tried to explain to us the the reasoning behind Jesse Jackson boycotting, mm-hmm. one, we probably wouldn't have really understood because that wasn't widely discussed. No. Really. No. I mean, at least in my family, we didn't have these lovely open discussions. So I'm just thinking also, I'm going to assume teachers shied away from that kind of discussion. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and if people were having fun planning their bicentennial celebration, they'd be like, don't rain on my parade. Exactly. Dude. Right. Right. Okay. So the accidental theme song of the bicentennial was Afternoon Delight, <laughs> which was as far from a protest song as you could possibly get. You guys, I cannot get over this <laughs> because believe it or not, Afternoon Delight by the Starland Vocal Band was the theme song played throughout CBS's all day coverage of the bicentennial. <laughs> Hosted by Dan Rather. So all day long, you could be hearing, um, gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon Oh my delight. God! Dan Rather! you get that, the, yes. like you get the sound effects of the skyrockets oh, and flight. That's no, the no, only, no. Th- yes, you've got the stuff, that's the only connection, I think. And then, so you, can you imagine hearing those lyrics and then Dan Rather coming back saying, welcome back to our all day coverage of the nation's 200th birthday. I've got to believe there is some former CBS intern somewhere laughing that his or her joke idea (laughs) for Afternoon Delight being the theme song made it all the way through. (laughs) And you guys, I got to tell you, because as all of our listeners know, and you all know, I can't just leave it at that. I got to go do some deep dives about Afternoon Delight. There's a rabbit hole to be sure. Oh, wait, can I say before, though? Oh, sure. It's a, it, there's the skyrockets in flight, but we'll talk about this little this a little bit more. Is I think people really wanted to be unserious, and afternoon delight, whether you're listening to the words or not, just sounds incredibly silly and unserious. Well, one, it was already it hadn't hit number one yet. It was a popular song, but the week after the um, all day long coverage with the theme song playing, it actually hit number one on the Billboard chart. Not sure if there's a correlation between between that and hitting number one, but um, good to note. Mm -hmm. The songwriter actually um, took the title Afternoon Delight from the name of a happy hour menu at a bar he frequented. So it wasn't until that song got into our minds and into popular culture that the idea of making it about sex was even a thing. So, Okay, so do you mean that – so I thought after I learned about it that Afternoon Delight was referring – to Nookie in the afternoon. Does did we take that from the song? Yes. Or did the song okay, the song so the song created the song it. created <gasps> that um, oh. definition of afternoon sex, which 
I guess was not really a thing because he talks about it usually happening at night. But let's With go the and get some during the day. But it's a it was a menu item at a cafe. It was the so name when he says gonna find my men- baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab gonna some, afternoon some afternoon delight. Afternoon it's delight. almost as if you could substitute that with gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab a double cheeseburger. It, basically, yeah, yeah. because uh-huh. that mm-hmm. that can't be. It it so <laughs> perfectly means afternoon. Well, it night. does, and that's what he meant it to mean. <laughs> I think he loved the um the phrase afternoon delight and that made him think of oh what else can an wink, afternoon wink. delight yeah. be yeah. right so he just chuckle, made chuckle. It, he did like a play on that word yeah play on those words exactly yes. and speaking of words you guys i was blown away i learned this yesterday so because of the success of the song cbs actually gave the starlight the starland vocal band a variety series Oh, I remember this. I was all there. You mm-hmm. get a variety series. Yes. You get a variety series. Yep. <laughs> you get a variety They've never done anything else, but you can <laughs> have your right. own TV show. So I was watching clips from it yesterday. Oh my and God. there's a clip of them singing, like in front of some river or whatever. You guys, there is a line that I've said wrong forever. Talk about misheard lyrics. I'm thinking, though, that maybe for the radio they change this, and this is why, because I saw this lyric this lyric written two different ways, but when I watch them move their lips, this is what they say. Rubbing sticks and stones together, making sparks ignite, and the thought of rubbing you is getting so exciting. Rubbing sticks and stones together, making sparks ignite, and the thought of rubbing you is getting so exciting. What? what? Not loving? Not, Not loving you? No. I'll oh. put a link to this. Well, clip. we're rubbing sticks and stones together. We're like, we're like to. Oh, this yes. is. Where's the English teacher to help us with the metaphors? I know. So when I saw their lips, but you moving, need help with that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I could not believe it. I was in shock. So I went back and watched it a few times, and I'm doing my research. What are the lyrics? And so I don't know if maybe for some radio stations in the Bible Belt, you couldn't say rubbing you, so you had to change it to loving you, um, because that's When you go to look up their lyrics, what does it say? Does it say loving you? It's been both ways. I found them both ways. You've seen both. Yes. Of course, they won Grammy that year for Best New Artist, and then they never had a hit again. Well, speaking of music and crazy, silly songs, what else was out there? A lot of the music from 1976 fell into the silly category, kind of like fluffy and unserious. And I've always wondered, WTF with Muskrat Love. Muskrat Susie, Muskrat Sam, do the jitterbug out in Muskrat Land and a shimmy. Not that I didn't love that song. I loved it. But what the hell with the muskrats? Like, did somebody say, I've got a super idea about a song about muskrats? What do you guys <laughs> yeah. think? I mean, yeah, they what's a did, muskrat? Right? I don't even know they what a did? muskrat is. Yeah, they did, right? It's like okay, a badger, so song, right? I have actually some, I have, it is a little bit. Yeah, it's like a little woodsy creature. Okay. Gnaws on wood. Um, yeah, so the song, you guys, was originally titled Muskrat Candlelight, and it was written and recorded <laughs> in 1972 by Willis Allen Ramsey. And it does indeed oh. describe a romantic liaison between oh two muskrats named Susie and Sam. Muskrat Did you, Susie. Yeah. Muskrat Sam. Do the jitterbug. Right. Okay, so... Did you know, though, that in 1973, the band America recorded a cover of it? Muskrat, muskrat, candlelight, 
That does not match at all. That makes no sense. They changed the name. They're the ones who changed the name to Muskrat Love, and their version reached number 67 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Okay. And then along comes Tony Tennille. So when Tony Tennille heard America's cover, she said to the captain... Do you think she called him the captain? Do you think she called the girl the captain? Okay. So she said, Captain, are they singing about muskrats? This is hysterical. (laughs) And they were like, we need these lyrics. We need to know this song. So they went out the next day. They found the lyrics. They found the sheet music. And they added it to their club act. And the audiences went nuts. So then when they were one track short for their 1976 debut album, which was called Songs of Joy, they added it. They added Muskrat Love to it. They're like, we need one more song. This has been a big crowd favorite. Also, this is funny. I don't know if you guys remember this in their version, but the captain, um, he has um, synthesizer-generated sound effects, which are supposed to simulate muskrats mating. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, oh, wait. You just blew my mind because I was like... So starts to giggle. And I thought it was just like muskrats talking. I didn't oh, know they were sorry. like hoping. Oh, little Kristen. Oh. You know what? Oh. <laughs> little Kristen, put your earmuffs on. It's okay. I know. Earmuffs. Oh. Um, Muskrat hunts. Yeah, so that song, so their version, Captain and Tennille's version, made it to number four on the Hot 100 chart, even though people have very definite opinions on its greatness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And I have a really fun, funny fact, you guys. When Queen Elizabeth visited the White House in 1976 for the oh, Bicentennial, good. Captain Antonio weirdly chose to sing Muskrat Love oh, for the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> of all their that songs. That is so 1976, of- I can't even stand it. Like, we can just end this episode right now. That's it. That's it's all, folks. Because you know everything yes. you need to know about 1976 Right, now. and one guest said, it was in very poor taste to sing of mating muskrats before oh the queen. God. And Tony Tennille said, only a person with a dirty mind would see something wrong. It's Disney-esque, to which I will challenge Tony Tennille <laughs> by saying, reminding her of these lyrics. Now he's tickling her fancy, rubbing her toes, muzzle to muzzle. Now anything goes as they wriggle. Sue starts to giggle. <laughs> This is worse yeah, than that's the Disney-esque. thought of rubbing you is get me so excited. <laughs> Apparently that's Disney-esque to Tony Tennille. So, I mean, wow. so that tells us a, that tells us everything we need to know about uh, Tony and the captain's um, <laughs> night-night time. <laughs> Was, so maybe those were his little sounds that he makes at night. Gosh. I've got to mm-hmm. go see if there's a clip on YouTube like, of the Queen's, <laughs> the Queen's reaction <laughs> to yes. them singing that song. Yeah. What is a muskrat? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, another song that Amy Lively talks about in For the Record, the 70s. Did I say that correctly? For the Record, the 70s. Yes, in her mm-hmm. 1976 episode is the song December 1963 by Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, which reached number one in March of Because in 1976, we were having a love affair with the 50s. Frankie Valli was not a current act. This was a throwback act. This was a comeback for them. They were popular in the late 50s and the early 60s. Early 60s are always kind of considered part of the 50s because of the innocence. The nastiness hadn't begun yet. But this song, which was clearly about losing your virginity, by the way, speaking of muskrat love, was a huge hit. A huge hit. Oh, yeah. I 
It was, I, this actually doing research for this episode, um, answered a question for me. That song has, since I've been a child, has always been one of my very favorite songs. I love that song. I think I always thought it was from the sixties. It wasn't until like Mm -hmm. two days ago that I learned that it was actually recorded in 1976. So it actually (laughs) answers a lot of questions of why this song has always, always, always been a really, just a a huge favorite of mine, probably because I heard it on the radio all the time in 1976. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was not on the oldie station. It was like number four on the, no, it was number one in March of 1976. And I just, just like rubbing sticks and stones together and rubbing our bodies together. And then the muskrats with their funny little sounds. Here are the lyrics that duh did not. I just think this is very poetic, but now I'm like, oh, this guy is doing it. Mm -hmm. I feel a rush like a rolling ball of thunder spinning my head around and taking my body under. And as I recall, it ended much too soon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in the, in the musical Jersey Boys, it's really cute. It's all of the Four Seasons, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, um, songs. And it's, uh, it's one of those jukebox musicals, but it's very cute. It's basically about how they all got together as a group and it just tells their story and they use all their music to tell the story. But yes, when they sing December 1963, it is about one of them singing about losing his virginity. Isn't that funny? Uh-huh. I never would have put. I never. Up on that. I just realized that when I listened to that episode of the podcast, I mm-hmm. again just maybe the romantic in me. I thought it was just about love at first sight. Like he'd mm-hmm. walked into this party and kind of across the room saw mm-hmm. this girl, and then the party ended too soon, and he had to leave. <laughs> like not that his. <laughs> right. No, he popped off him. a little too yeah. soon, Carol. <laughs> There you go. That, but that makes perfect sense. That's how that's how a child yeah. would think. And then, oh, and the party ended too soon. I have to go home. I like but this. Um, think about think. Go back in time and think about what we were thinking about the fifties at the time. Because in 1976, we had Happy Days. We had Laverne and Shirley. I was invited to lots of fifties theme parties where you had mm, to wear your poodle mm-hmm, skirt. Mm-hmm. Grease comes out in 1978, whose theme song is also sung by Frankie Valli, who was a throwback artist. Do you remember Shanana? Mm. Oh, oh, yes. Right? Shauna yeah. and I had their own TV show. Um, yeah, I also loved, I loved 50s music, but I, Happy Days was my show in, in 1976, um, even if Chachi wasn't on it yet. Oh, I was so into Happy Days. That was, you know, at age, at age seven, that was a show I could watch and, and I remember, could laugh at it. Almost kind of feel like I was watching a grown up show. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure it was because it was grown up situations oftentimes. And do you remember 19, 1976? This is super memorable for me. And I'm just trying to, I'm taking the temperature to see if it was as big a deal to everybody else as it was to me. 1976 were the Pinky Tuscadero-esque episodes. Oh, my Okay, heart. Carolyn just like crossed herself, basically. <laughs> remember the accident, the motorcycle accident? Yes, oh, the yeah, motorcycle accident. Yeah. So um, I've always wondered, like, why, why this, why did we have this big fascination with the 50s at the time? And Amy Lively from For the 70s answered my question for me. She says it perfectly. She says, the 70s inherits weariness from the 60s. Lots of fussing and fighting to borrow a line from the Beatles. And so we play make-believe with the 50s. And she says, we Gen Xers liked it because it was presented to us as a fun time to be a kid or a teenager. Mm -hmm. It was it was a fad, just like anything else, but the fad was fueled by a mythical presentation of the 50s as opposed to what it actually was, and we can thank Happy Days for that. But I think her observation that it was presented to us as a fun time to be a teenager, that's what it was for me, for sure. 
And now, a pause for station identification. In 1976, the nation was celebrating our bicentennial, and people had feelings. They did. You might say they were following the people and conversations they enjoyed, and were also rating and reviewing all sorts of stuff that year. The politics, the Olympians, the music and movies. Yeah, and you know they were sharing the things they loved with their friends. Oh, definitely. And now, just like in 1976, we need you to do the same. That's right. Just like Sonny and Cher, if you Wait, like... Sonny what- and Cher? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Just like Sonny and Cher, Kristen. Mm-hmm. If you like what you hear, please follow along where you listen. If it's on Apple Podcast, just click those three little dots in the top right corner... On Spotify, you can't miss it. It's a big follow button under our image. And on other platforms, I'm not really sure, but just look around. And much like you did with Dorothy Hamill, rate us. Please click those five stars, which is a gold medal, by the way, on Apple and add to the nice reviews that are already there. And just like your love for Charlie's Angels, share our podcast and social media pages with friends. It's the only way we know you are enjoying what you're hearing. And do you want to get fan mail? It's super easy. Maybe it's not from Andy Gibb. (gasps) Sigh. But if you sign up for our emails, you'll get super fun Gen X news from the PCPS delivered straight to your inbox. Just go to our website at poppreservationists.com and enter your name and email. Just like 1976. Sure, Michelle. Just like 1976. And now... Back to our show. Let's circle back to to wacky Mm -hmm. songs. If there was a top 10 silliest songs of all time list, I would definitely put Disco Duck on there. Released in 1976. Let's just add that to the pile, right? But also, what about Convoy? sounded super random and hokey but convoy was actually a protest song mm-hmm. i had no idea i didn't learn that this. from amy on her podcast yes yeah. this is, comes directly mm-hmm. from amy yeah. the gas shortage and the new 55 miles per hour speed limit was getting in the way of truckers doing their jobs i loved learning like the cb lingo i had no idea what any of this was, all I knew was that I wanted a CB radio. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, I just know that you had one. I just <laughs> know did. that you did. We did. My stepfather had one in our motor home and we got to use it. And my handle was baby shrimp. Oh my and God. I would, he would let us use it. And I'd be all like, you know, breaker one nine, this is baby shrimp. We got a smoky at mile marker 87 on 190 and a plain brown bag out. What is like a plain brown bag? Se- like an unmarked car, an unmarked <gasps> police car. And, oh, you know, like can that. you just picture this little seven-year-old? <laughs> Breaker 1-9. And then Breaker he'd let us do the 10-4, good buddy. <laughs> and the trucker, the other truckers loved it when my sister and I would get on oh, the, sure. the CB. And then they would be like, you know, hey, they're little lady or whatever. And it was just really fun. Um, because you guys, CBs were our 1976 cell phones. Or like, I mean, Absolutely. they were walkie-talkies, yeah. but they yeah. were really cell phones because people actually did. The truckers definitely relied on them. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it provided 
hours of entertainment for my family. And buckle up, people, <laughs> literally, oh figuratively. God. Because we lived only about less than two miles from Interstate 10. That's where our house was. So we could get the CB um, transmissions and everything right in our driveway. Like, that's how close we were. So after dinner, we would go out in the car, the whole family. We wouldn't leave the car. Like, the car wouldn't leave the driveway. We would sit in the driveway. And my dad would talk on the CB radio, and we would just be entertained by the conversations that he would have. Like, you're just sitting in the driveway. Just sitting in the driveway. In the car. The whole family. In the car. The whole family. Because we could get that all up. We were that close. And um, yeah, so that, that's what we did. And then, so I called my mom the other night and I asked her, because I can't remember what my dad's handle was. And she said, I don't remember his handle, but I do remember the handle of our parish priest, Father Domek. <laughs> oh, it, no. Oh, it no. Was, is he the one? Tr- wait, wait, before you say it, is <laughs> okay. he the one that wore Speedos? No, no. That was oh, my Father Angelo. That okay, was good. Father Angelo. Okay, my then high you may principal. proceed. If he was the one that wore Speedos, I did not want to know his handle. Yes. No. Mm-hmm. No, this was um, nice Father Domek um, from St. Bartholomew's in Katy, Texas. And his handle was Charlie Tuna because his first <laughs> name was Charles. So he, my mom couldn't remember my dad's, but she could remember our priests, Charlie Tuna. And so, I, it, why Tuna? Oh wait, I guess because the Charlie, the, the ad, tuna. because of the yeah. ad, the tuna right. ad, that's chicken exactly of the sea, right. chicken of the sea. Yes, Carolyn, but that's I can't probably one of the most seventies, seventieth, seventies memories I've ever heard in my life. Totally. And I love it so much that your fam- that was your entertainment. Oh my gosh, it was, and it even. Um, translated into my bedroom because we lived so close to the interstate. And I learned um, the FCC didn't have enough channels for all this mm-hmm. CB communication. So before they actually added some more channels out in whatever the world of electronic communication, my walkie-talkie could pick up some wow. of the um, conversations as well as transmit them. So I could be in my room at like nine o'clock at night and I would pretend I was oh. a trucker. <laughs> and as long be... as your handle wasn't blonde bombshell, right. you, were, you were probably you were fine. Yeah, they'd safe. be like, "What yes. exit you had?" You know, blonde bombshell. <laughs> but I would lie and say like thirteen twenty four because our circle. Our our way to get pretty much everywhere was Interstate ten. So yeah. even to get to the grocery store because we were that far out, kind of in the suburbs. And so I knew the mile markers because we'd pass them. And so I'd lie on there and I'd say, "Smokey, uh, you know." See, oh, but I mean, you did. Yeah, but I, oh, my voice Carolyn. was like of an eleven-year-old girl. That's I think true. they probably figured out. <laughs> She was pretending to be a trucker. That's a really good point. Christian and I are like, oh my God, she fooled all the truckers. And she's got this little tiny 11-year-old voice. That's right. And she's probably got like Christy and Jimmy McNichol playing in the background. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I felt so like I was breaking all these rules. But that again is so 1976 that people would pretend to be truckers. (laughs) On their walkie-talkie from Sears, I'm sure. Pretending to be a trucker, convoy, the lingo, all of it is an example of phenomena that was just exploding in 1976. There were so many phenomena this year, things that exploded and took hold of every kid in your classroom. Let's start with the Olympics. Could there have been a better year than 1976 for there to be Olympics? Mm -hmm. And remember, friends that this was when the Winter and Summer Olympics were both held in the same year. We don't do that anymore now. But in 1976, we had Winter Olympics and we had 
the Summer Olympics. So we start off our National Pride Year of 1976 in February in Innsbruck, Austria, because they host the Winter Games. And ladies and gentlemen, we were introduced to Dorothy Hamill and her (gasps) hair. Yes. I literally just got goosebumps all the way down to my ankles. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. love Dorothy. We love that she won the gold medal. Yes, that was very exciting. But I think more long-lasting was the hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did either right. of you have a Dorothy Hamill haircut? It was my first haircut. The Dorothy <laughs> oh, Hamill right. was my very first haircut. You got because your Jan Brady you, haircut that's into right. Dorothy Hamill. Into a Dorothy Hamill because if you remember from our Brady Bunch episode, I was afraid to get my hair because I was under the impression that new <laughs> hair grew out of the bottom of your old haircut, like Carol Brady's haircut. The with ski the ski, jump, ski jump at the bottom, the ski jump mullet. That's what I thought would happen if you got your haircut. So it wasn't until Dorothy Hamill that I took the plunge. And that's when we got a blow dryer and my mom would blow dry my hair and it would be all smooth and straight and round like a bowl on my head. It was beautiful. <laughs> I just think that there was nobody except Dorothy Hamill who could truly have a Dorothy Hamill haircut, not just because that's her name, but because to truly have a Dorothy Hamill haircut, you got to spin. You got to right. spin. You got to yes. spin. Spin, yes. spin, spin, spin. Agreed. So it flies out in mm-hmm. all the little layers. And if you're not Dorothy Hamill, you're not going to spin like that. So it just kind of lays yeah. flat. Or yeah. if you're my hair, it sticks up. That is so <laughs> not Dorothy Hamill. Yeah. Or if you're my sister, you just spin around really fast in our living room <laughs> and hope it happens. But she insisted that it would not happen unless she washed her hair with short and sassy shampoo. Of course. Oh, we, yes. I'm just picturing I'm picturing your sister as the Tasmanian devil. That's how she got everywhere. She yeah. just spun everywhere. Dorothy Hamill introduces the shampoo for short hair, short and sassy shampoo. It makes my hair shiny. More important, it gives my short hair a wonderful body. So fast forward seven months to August 1976. Now we are in Montreal, and we are there for the Summer Olympic Games. And these were pretty iconic, you guys. Oh, so iconic. Still, I mean, well, I guess that's what iconic means. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on. Yes. (laughs) Well, we were coming off of our nation's bicentennial high, and the flames of our patriotic spirit were flamed when Caitlyn Jenner, at the time known as Bruce Jenner, and I'm going to preface all of this, you guys, with I want to say this correctly. I want to use the right pronouns. I want to refer to Caitlyn, who was known then as Bruce, Mm -hmm. who won the decathlon. We're working it. We're working it. Yes. We're working it. We are learning. When we're referring to 1976, I guess my opinion would be that when referring to 1976 or any time before Caitlyn Jenner made her transformation, my feeling is that we could refer to 1976 as Bruce and use the pronouns him, he. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously now we don't do that, but I don't know if that's right. And I'm going to admit that I'm a little bit ignorant in knowing if that's okay to. Well, and it's hard to know when you're. Um, talking about a news event. It's one thing to be talking about an individual and their individual life, but when you're talking about a news event, because did Caitlyn Jenner win the decathlon? Or did Bruce Jenner win the decathlon? I mean, Bruce Jenner won the decathlon, but Caitlyn Jenner has always been in Bruce Jenner. Right. 
Bruce Jenner would probably say he was always Caitlyn Jenner. Of course. She would always say she was always Caitlyn Jenner. But Bruce Jenner got the gold medal. This is very confusing. So this is tricky. But here we go. I still recall that image of Bruce at the time of him running around the track or just holding the American flag and just feeling like, go America. It was just such a perfect example and such perfect timing for that spirit. I never put that together, Carolyn, how it came on the heels of the bicentennial and this six months of being indoctrinated by the shot heard around the world and we the people um, that that moment, the Olympics moment came when we were still bubbling over with patriotic pride. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that may be why we remember it so well. Do you guys remember the Olympic, um, the Olympic posters you could get at Burger King? No, we never ate at Burger King. This was big because it was like a collector's item and you wanted to get the right one because maybe Uh this week it was the Bruce Jenner poster, but next week was going to be the Nadia Comaneci poster. And so you had to beg your parents to go to Burger King at the appropriate time so you could get the appropriate poster. And I did score. I got the Nadia Comaneci poster. I got it. The other iconic moment from the games was the perfect 10 scored by gymnast Nadia Comaneci from Romania. Am I saying Nadia's name right? Is it Comaneci? I, think, I, I used to I always say Comaneci, but I was also, you know, seven. I've heard both. I don't know. And I, I want to say Comaneci because there's an I on the end, but I also hear people say Comaneci. Okay. We'll ask Nadia. Yes. And she married Bart Connor eventually, <laughs> who was a, also a male gymnast. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she goes by Nadia Connor now, but anyway. That would be a bummer if she did. It, it would be. Oh, and remember Nadia's theme? It was okay. played everywhere. Be quiet. Yes, but we're going to Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. You looked at the <laughs> no, you looked like oh, you were no, done. I'm, okay, cut that. She would I never am forget Nadia's from done. theme. Okay. I'm far from done. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. You looked like you settled back. Okay. okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> I am. She was gearing up. She was just yes, like. Oh, she's gearing up. Okay. That's right. She's, okay. <gasps> okay. Yes. We'll strike that and okay. you will continue. Okay. So this was the first perfect 10 scored by an athlete in the Olympic Games. And because the scoreboard only displayed three digits, when her score was shown, it showed as 1.00. Oh my God, I did not know this. Isn't that crazy? I guess they never expected anyone to get a perfect score. And she ended up earning three gold medals in the games. Wow. It was amazing. And obviously, because we remember, the world was mesmerized by mm-hmm. her perfect performance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she was solidified as a forever piece of our pop culture memories with the song, Nadia's Theme. Anyone who played the piano in 1976 (laughs) learned how to play Nadia's theme. Mm -hmm. Right. Surprisingly enough, you didn't learn it before that because it was originally written in 1971, the soundtrack for Bless the Beasts and the Children. It was just kind of an instrumental in the background. And then it was rearranged a little bit. And in 1973, was used as the theme for The Young and the Restless. Oh, that came first? That came first. Oh, I thought it came after. I did too. I did too. But no, it wasn't until a montage of Nadia's performance during the Olympics on the ABC Wide World of Sports, where they played, at that time, the song was called Cotton's Dream. That was the name of it from the soundtrack. They played that underneath the montage of Nadia's performances, and the public went crazy. They reached out to ABC, what is the song? Tell us the name of it. Where can we find it? A&M Records, who had the rights to Cotton's theme, thought, hmm, 
hmm, lots of interest. Let's release it as a commercial song. Let's change the name to Nadia's Theme. They released it on August 26th, 1976. It was on the Billboard charts for 22 weeks. Oh, my gosh. Peaking at number eight. And you guys, Nadia Komenich never performed to Nadia's Theme. No. Oh, it was just from a recap. It just was from the recap. What a little marketing and PR can do for you. You That is amazing, though, but it comes from outcry, too. So these Mm -hmm. people who are watching the wide world of sports are so moved by the combination of Nadia Comaneci and this song that they make phone calls, right? That's a good example of how the collective drives culture. So they didn't give us that. We asked for it, mm-hmm. right? The people at Wide mm-hmm. World of Sports weren't looking for a hit song. They were they were no. just like, grab me a piece of music. Get right that home. thing from the soap opera. <laughs> and it becomes a huge hit. Yes. I just remember my memories of Nadia. I'm, I'm clearly watched it on television. I don't remember that. I just remember for months playing on my swing set and singing Nadia's theme as I swung on my little trapeze bar, probably just oh with my, my knees up. But I was obviously a world-class gymnast. So how, how would you sing it? Because there are no lyrics. You just go, you just hum it. And then I would get really into that. That was probably my big dismount. Did you guys have a pet rock? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I had the official pet rock, but I think I You just go in your backyard and pick one up? Yeah, that's what I had. Um, so the pet rock was, I got one, I got one for my birthday in March of 1976 when I was, yes, I did. And it was ever so exciting, but I seriously expected it to do something. I was so confused. I didn't understand this abstract concept of this rock was supposed to be a live pet. I mean, I really thought I was going to open the box with breathing holes in it, and I was going to take it out, and it was going to say hello or something. You had issues with that, though, Kristen. I really did. (laughs) I know. Abstract thinking was difficult for me. (laughs) And and it came with a little manual on how to take care of your pet rock, and it had all these jokes and puns about Mm -hmm. your pet rock like it was a live pet. And I just remember reading it going, this is bullshit. (laughs) Like, this is not – this is true. Did they all look different, or did they all look the same? No, they were all different. The they were all different. They were rocks. They were actual rocks. Yeah. They were, I know yeah. they are, but like, were they all basalt rocks or were they all the same oh. type of rock? Like, were they all, you know? I oh. What I recall is that they all had the same hue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they were rocks. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if they were manufactured rocks. No, or they were they not manufactured. Rocks. I didn't they get were one. Actual. I think I just made one. I don't think yeah. I wanted one. I mean, if I couldn't feed it baby food and it pooped out in its pretend diaper. <laughs> well, I, I thought it, it might. I thought I might have to feed my rock and it might poop, but well, nothing happened. I remember so I weird. decorated, I mean, it, my pet rock had a really fancy smanchy bed, bedroom. It had a beanbag oh. in it oh, and everything. Oh, lucky. Well, I made that. It was like all in a shoebox, but yeah. it, and yeah. I put some grass in there, but it, it had some nice decor that surrounded it, but I didn't expect it to poop. The whole thing lasted like six months at the most. They came out um, in 1975, at the end of 1975, and they had a huge, huge batch of sales right around Christmas time. By the time it got to my birthday in March of 1976, the fad was already dying, and they were discounted on the shelves. So I may have gotten one of the last pet rocks, so maybe that's why (laughs) mine was so inactive. He was kind of wearing out. Um, But they sold over one million pet rocks. Oh, my gosh. gosh. And they were $4 each. So this guy became a millionaire. 
I'm a millionaire. That is definitely going on the Instagram during 1976 week. Oh, Mm, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, talk Mm -hmm. about just a flash, just a tiny Mm -hmm. flash that burned like fire through our classroom. Yeah. I turned seven years old in 1976, Mm -hmm. so I was in my sweet spot with all the toys. And Mm -hmm. I told you guys in our Christmas episode back in December of 2020 that at the top of my Christmas list in 1976 was Stretch Armstrong. You remember? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I got him. Um, Okay, so Holly Hobby. Holly Hobby actually launched in 1975. But really gained popularity in 1976. The rag doll, Holly Hobby. I had mm-hmm. the doll. I had the rag doll. I had mm-hmm. the lunchbox. I had a Holly Hobby wallpaper, That's and right. I had um, and I had my denim shirt with the Holly Hobby applique on the mm-hmm. back. Carolyn had that too. I did. Mine was painted though. Mine was hand painted. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Bionic Woman, Jamie Summers Barbie doll oh, with the oh, little yeah. plastic part. You took off her leg, and you could see the little you could bionic look inside and inside. see the mechanism mm-hmm. inside. That was cool. Almost all my friends, though, they would lose the little skin part that you could take <laughs> off. Just so then you couldn't really make her, her just be normal. Yeah. Uh, the Barbie Star Traveler motorhome and dune buggy was a big deal. Oh, the motorhome was big. Yeah. That yeah. was very cool. Mm-hmm. I did covet that. This is when the Weebles Haunted House was released in Mm -hmm. 1976. The Sunshine Family, we've posted Sunshine Family on Instagram several times, and people go nuts. A lot of these toys, you guys, are coming straight from the Sears 1976 wish book. Easy Bake Oven was very big in 1976, and the Holly Hobby version especially, which I still is still sitting in my mom's closet. I've told her I do not want it, but yet it still sits there. Um, Do you remember the little Pepsi machine? That you could put the <gasps> two sister in and then the it came out. Machine. That. Yep. And, it, and you got the little tiny waxy mm-hmm. cups with it. Here's something that people got for Christmas in 1976 that I think blows them all away. And that is, I can't even believe that this was a gift, that this is the kind of thing that people would give it gifts as gifts. But they did. The Farrah Fawcett poster. Oh. And not just boys, girls too. Here, son, here's some nipples. Yes, totally. I know. <laughs> like, isn't there stocking? Yes, yeah, but sure. it's only because the parents wanted, I think I've said this before in our eight mm-hmm. is enough episode. It's only because the dad wanted the excuse <laughs> of giving it to the son so the son would put it on his wall so the dad could go in and look at it. I'm going to go have a talk with son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read bedtime stories yes. tonight. Oh, I'll do stories oh, tonight. Honey, you're fine. I'll go do take stories. a bath. Yeah. But I had lots of girlfriends who had that poster on their wall too. She was Ooh, an icon, not beautiful. just for boys. Yes. But for girls, too. she was. I mean, could she be the most beautiful woman who ever lived? I think it's possible. I will say something about that poster. Even Mm -hmm. though, yes, the nipples were shown through her swimsuit, I think it's a very tastefully done poster. It's not overtly sexual. No, I don't think so. And she was instructed to be overtly sexual. They were like, we'd make this sexy. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want, fellas. Back off. And maybe that's one of the huge appeals of that poster is that I it's not so. overly sexy, is mm-hmm. that that it's very sexy, mm-hmm. but almost just at, in a, I'm just going to sit here in this swimsuit, this one piece swimsuit type of way. It might be the difference between sexy and sexual. Mm. Mm. Wow, right? that's deep. So that this is, is um, this is a really interesting story to me. So this this poster was shot in her own backyard, the backyard she shared with um, with Lee Majors. And it's, this was before Charlie's Angels. All of this time seems to smash together and we associate the poster with Charlie's Angels. But really, this is before she was on Charlie's Angels. And the owner of the poster company had never heard of her before, but called her after his neighbor told him that his teenage son was buying women's magazines so he could look at this girl in shampoo ads. 
who was Farrah Fawcett. Mm. So the guy is like, hey, she is kind of a looker. Let's put her on a poster. They wanted her to wear a bikini. She refused to wear a bikini because she has a scar on her stomach. She always wore a one-piece because of this scar. And so when she refuses to wear the bikini, she just goes inside, goes inside and gets a red swimsuit from her own closet. So that was her oh, swimsuit. Oh. Wow. And wow. like you said, it's not overtly sexual at all. I think the headlights are famous, and that certainly helped. But there's nothing that can be done about that. She's not making her nipples poke out. And there was a rumor that still flies around that you can see the word sex written in the highlights I of her hair. I remember that rumor. Yeah. Not in the headlights, in the highlights. Have you seen it? Have you oh, looked yes. for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can show it to you. Oh, oh I'm going to wow. go back and look. I mm -hmm. don't know that. I, don't I mean, you have to stretch story. your imagination a little bit, but if you do, you can see the word sex. So it's sort of like this thing that is not overtly sexual, but it's inviting people to think about sex. Do you know where that swimsuit is now? Where? Um, no. I Don't say it's in the Smithsonian. Smithsonian. Yes. Oh, it's <laughs> in the Smithsonian. That, 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 I think it's earned its place in the Smithsonian. It is in the Smithsonian's collection of culturally significant objects. Like Fonzie's I mean, leather jacket. Like yeah. Fonzie's leather jacket. If Fonzie's I'm, leather jacket has a place in the Smithsonian, then I say that red swimsuit deserves I one agree. as well. No matter what your opinion of it is, it yeah. took hold of the culture. It did. So the poster earned $12 million. She earned $400,000 in royalties, which was way more than the $5,000 mm -hmm. wow. a week she earned on It's Charlie interesting Daniels. you say that she never wore mm -hmm. a two-piece bathing suit because I was just looking at a poster that had Charlie's Angels on it, which, by the mm -hmm. way, debuted in 1976. And it had Farah and Jacqueline Smith and Kate Jackson. And Jacqueline Smith is in a bikini um, and Farah, I think she's just in a kind of a regular-ish outfit. And I remember looking at it thinking, I wonder why Farah wasn't in the bikini. Hmm. And now that makes a little bit more sense. Okay, so what else were you guys watching on TV in 1976? Well, other than Happy Days, I was all about Donnie and Marie. I'm a little bit country. And I'm a little bit rock and roll. guys watch the Donnie and Marie show? Oh, yes. Religiously. So the Donnie and Marie show premiered on January 23rd, 1976, and Donnie was only 18 and Marie was just 16. Wow. She you was go 16 back, years old? Yes. And if you do go back and watch wow. on YouTube, she's precious and has so much confidence, but she looks so much older. And I think it is her confidence yeah. that makes her seem so much older than 16. Yeah. Um, yeah. At 18 and 16, they were the youngest duo to ever host their own variety show. Wow. Wow. And it always opened, my favorite part was the ice skating. They always mm -hmm. opened with ice skating. Oh, and they're good. Right. Yeah. They're like really good ice skaters. Mm -hmm. They poked fun even at their squeaky clean image a lot. Mm -hmm. um, one time Donnie was singing a song and in the lyrics it said wine and whiskey. And they changed it to milk. I think that's really cute. And it's really smart. And it's reading the culture because... Don't you think that their squeaky clean relates back to our fascination with the 50s when they thought everything was so innocent and mm -hmm. fun? And you can sort of contrast that with maybe something like Sonny and Cher, which kind of had this sexually charged energy. Mm -hmm. And then let's have Donnie and Marie instead as we move into 1976. Mm -hmm. 
I will never be able to get the iconic image of it's the album cover, it's the dolls of the pink and purple chiffon mm-hmm. outfits that they were wearing. That's always mm-hmm. what I will picture Donnie and Marie mm-hmm. in forever and ever. So iconic. And mm-hmm. speaking of iconic and what our podcast is all about, these pop culture nuggets, when I was in college, we had a party. Um, and it was a themed party and it was opposites attract. And I took Andy and we were a little bit country and a little bit <gasps> rock and roll. Good for you. And Dor- everybody knew adorable. what we were. Yep. Everybody knows. You didn't have to explain yourself nope. to anybody. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, okay. So real quick, I want to give you a list of the other shows that premiered in 1976 that we were all probably watching. You guys, this was a great, great year for television. Mm, bring it on. I want to hear. That debuted in 76, you're saying? Debuted in okay. 1976. We All had Alice. Oh, I love that show. We have What's Happening. <gasps> hey, hey, hey. I know. Laverne and Shirley. That was in 1976. 1976, yep. Wow, I would have The Bionic Woman oh, was 1976. Yes, oh, yes, please. <laughs> Please let Jamie Summers marry Steve Austin. <laughs> so they can have bionics. Yes, bionics. Yes. Um, oh, they're going to say bionic babies. Okay, that would be we've fun got too. another really good one. Three's Company. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and his. Three's Company too. Family premiered in 1976. Such wow. a it's all the shows. I know. The Muppet Show premiered in 1976, you guys. Okay, hold on tight, because we've got two coming up that's going to blow your minds. Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. (gasps) From the Croft Super Show. And the Croft Super Show, both premiered in 1976. Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. I was was very confused about... Electra Woman and Dinah Girl, because I didn't know if they were mother and daughter or sisters, and I needed to know. (laughs) They were just co-workers? I didn't understand. And you didn't mention anything that wasn't meaningful to me. You didn't mention a single thing where I was like, eh, or I don't remember it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're all pretty iconic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the news was on TV also at the time, um, because in those days, we only got our news from two sources. You watched it on TV, or you read it in the newspaper. But it was only on twice a day. But you didn't carry it around with you in your pocket. So you didn't read the news all day, every day. It was just these two places. And also seeing it through a child's lens means you may remember stuff, very specific things for very childlike reasons. And maybe you didn't understand the bigger stories. So, for instance, I was terrified of Son of Sam. I was afraid Son of Sam was going to leave New York where he had a job as a serial killer and he was going to come to St. Paul, Minnesota and he was going to climb in my window and he was going to kill me. I do remember the election. Yeah, the presidential election. Because my mom was a huge Carter supporter Uh and my sister and I had these little uh, t-shirts that said vote for Jimmy Carter that I'll post a picture on on social media because my sister still has hers. So I remember Jimmy Carter. I remember the peanut farmer. I remember Amy Mm -hmm, Carter. mm -hmm. Oh, Um, yes, because Amy was exactly my age. So that was huge. I thought we were going to be friends. Yes, I wanted to be friends with Amy Mm -hmm. Carter. It's probably the first election that a lot of us remember. Mm -hmm. And in my third grade class, I voted for Jimmy Carter. And I was under the impression that I actually voted for Jimmy Carter. Good for you. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. that my vote counted. I was like, oh, here's my ballot box. I'm voting Mm -hmm. for Jimmy Carter. And we had a, and the fact that he was a peanut farmer, I think just really (laughs) 
like translated yeah. to children. He yeah, seemed like he a really normal. nice, like, yeah, he was a nice guy. Whereas Gerald Ford was super boring and looked like oh, a grandpa, yeah. and that didn't translate to us at all. Also, Jimmy Carter, I mean, he was a dad for us at that age. Yes, he yes. Was. They had a really lovely little family and a yeah. wonderful, they were wonderful parents, and their daughter was very happy. And it was just, it was sort of idyllic that that could happen, yeah. that you could become, you could have just a young daughter and be a dad and be president. That and was that was weird. very appealing. I remember um, all of that, but I also remember uh, Jimmy's brother, Billy. And Billy was kind of the black sheep, it seemed. Billy Beer? Yeah, and Billy Beer, Mm -hmm. and he was maybe going to bring him down. Mm -hmm. But he still loved his brother, Billy, which I think that was really sweet. Yeah, he didn't try to distance himself from Billy. He was like, wing. (laughs) Okay, so at the end of the 1976 episode of For the Record, the 70s, Amy gives us the top 10 songs on July 4th, 1976, Our Country's Bicentennial. And that top 10 actually explains a lot for me and tells you a lot about where we were at the time. So I'll give you just a few and you'll see what I mean. In the seven spot, number seven, Get Up and Boogie by Silver Convention. So disco was no longer confined to the soul or R&B charts. It's starting to come into the top ten. Number five was Shop Around by Captain and Neil. You better shop around. You better shop around. Which is a throwback. That's a 1961 song mm-hmm. from Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. So we've got our 1950s love going on again. Uh, number two, Afternoon Delight. Silly, <laughs> silly. And the number one song in all the land on July 4th, 1976 was Silly Love Songs by Paul McCartney and Wings. Silly. You know what's interesting? Think about so Sean Cassidy's first album is all covers of yeah. basically a fifty songs. Mm-hmm. Leaf Garrett yes. is yes. singing Surfing USA and he's singing a totally. lot of covers. So this all the music even is just so indicative of the nineteen fifties that we were, we were so we were in love to. with it. We mm-hmm. were so in love with it. And so um Paul McCartney's song is very meta because it is a silly love song and it is a clapback to John Lennon who was dissing him for not talking about serious things in his music. Mm. And you're just doing silly love songs, man. And so Paul McCartney was like, damn right I am. And the truth is Paul McCartney was reading the room. He was reading the crowd correctly. Number one, he's on the charts. John Lennon isn't. But it was like, we didn't want serious things in 1976. We needed to relax and just ignore all the shit that came before. So my theory about 1976 is that it was all about what we wanted America to be, what we wished that it would be, with no more death and destruction and unrest and scandal. We just wanted the baseball and apple pie part. We wanted small town celebrations. We wanted silly love songs. We wanted to forget about Watergate and Vietnam and just go to Mayberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We wanted Donnie and Marie on ice skates and with a balloon drop at the end of every show. Yes, we did. So thanks for going back to 1976 with us today. If you're sick of the news, I suggest you make yourself a 1976 playlist and watch some Happy Days. (laughs) Good idea. And join us next week when we'll be saving John Denver's portrayal of a grocery store manager who drives an AMC Pacer and meets God. 
a.k.a. George Burns, in the 1977 movie, Oh God. Oh, that's right. That's a good one. Are we? And we're also going to talk about some other 77 movies. Yes, we uh-huh. are. It was a great Fun. year. And also make sure you're following where you're listening and sharing the podcast and the love on social media. We are at Pop Culture Preservation Society. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of those Regal Beagle regulars, Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. 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 Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song